by my Savior's side, just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band. Just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, there with the mighty angels and just over in the glory land. I am on my way to those mansions fair, just over in the glory land, there to sing God's praise and His glory share, just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band, just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land, there with the mighty host I'll stand, just over in the glory land. What a joyful thought that my Lord I'll see, just over in the glory land. And with kindred saved there forever be, just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, they'll join the happy angel band, just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, there with the mighty host I'll stand, just over in the glory land. Let's turn back to hymn number 185. And number 185, let's sing out on a Good hymn, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the flood from the cliff inside which flown be of sin the double cure. Save me from his guilt and power, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy laws demands. Could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save me, thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee of dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Bow I to the fountain fine, wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, fled for me, let me hide myself in 
take a moment and greet those around you this morning. Well, good morning. It's good to welcome to our Sunday school hour. Good to see each other this morning. Always good to see people fellowshipping with each other. Everybody that's going to be involved in the um, Vacation Bible School, we need to meet at 5.30 this afternoon. We meet up in the um, first, first room to the right upstairs and um, kind of go over things with you. So if you... Um, have helped out in the past, or if you want to help out this time, uh, plan to be there there with us, and we'll um, we'll assign you to some some area, something that you can be doing during vacation Bible school. So that's at five thirty. We normally have teacher meeting at five forty, but we're going to be meeting ten minutes earlier to go over everything. Also, uh, there'll be a wedding shower for uh, Megan. On July 13th at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. So, ladies, you may want to jot that date down. And um, she will be getting married then. I think it's in August, isn't it, David? August. Okay. All right. Um, good to have Brother Miss Corn with us. I forget. I forgot now how you introduce your children. Yeah, something, something about adding kernels to your corn or something you know I don't I don't remember they've got two more since the last time they were with us so he's filling up his cob pretty fast here <laughs> they'll be doing our uh, vacation Bible school this year and uh, we're looking forward to it they were with us uh, I don't know a few years ago and um, did a great job and so we wanted to have them back again and uh, 
In fact, he'll be speaking tonight here in our evening service. He'll be in uh, junior, I think he's going to be in junior church this morning after Sunday school. So um, going to keep him busy while, he, while he's here, get everything we can out of him. It's always good to, uh, to see them and have them here with us. Also, teen camp, July 17th through the 21st, and the cost this year for camp is $210. Um, we're asking that you, if you can, to uh, help out. We have a lot of the uh, young people that ride the bus, and their families are not able to take care of the sending the camp financially, so um, we always chip in, and, and um, so if you can support one or more or a part of one even just on your uh, check or your envelope write down for youth camp whatever the amount will be all right so uh our, our bible school will be on monday tuesday and wednesday night and be from 6 30 to oh, uh, 8 30 hopefully hope we'll get them out by 8 30 and that's what we'll be working for anyway anybody have a birthday this past week Anybody have an anniversary? Is there anniversaries? I thought June was the month that a lot of people got married. I, don't, I, I think we've only had one or two during, during this month. All right, Usher, would you come? Let's receive the offering. Remember those that are sick? Continue to pray for Brother King. Also glad they Bill to be able, able to be with us this morning. Continue to pray for him and his healing. And also continue to pray for Janice. Uh, if you have an unspoken request this morning, raise your hand. All right, let's bow our heads and look to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and on these requests. Brother Flowers, would you lead us in prayer? Amen.
right, good morning. We'll be in Galatians chapter 3 once again this morning, continuing on with our study through the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. If I can get my notes situated here. I always like vacation Bible school time. It's an exciting time. I remember as a kid, we always looked forward to it. So I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do this week. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3. And we'll be focusing on verses 19 through 22 this morning. Um, just to, to catch us up since we've all slept since last week. Uh, Galatians, we, we understand that uh, the Galatians, uh, the churches in Galatia had adopted a false gospel. And they've, they've begun to add works. Uh, to the gospel as a means of justification. Um, and, and we went through Galatians 1 and 2 where uh, Paul demonstrates that he's an, an apostle, that he, he received the message directly from God by revelation. Uh, and he, he states his authority there. Uh, and, and then he starts to make this case for, for these doctrines related to justification and, and, and uh, apart from works. Um, Galatians 3, we started with the, the five questions that he had asked them. And You'll see here that he's, he, he's, as we talk about, he's starting to drill down a little more and he's getting down into, uh, he's going to get down right to where they live, essentially. And, and we're on our way there uh, as we go through uh, 16 through 18. In chapter 3 here, we, we uh, talked last week kind of about the history of the promise, a little bit of an overview. Uh, and the promise is, I should say, um, and, and we, we focused uh, mostly on how they're related to us um, and the promise of Jesus Christ that was made to Abraham uh, how the gospel has been the same since it was preached to Abraham, and it says in the text that it was preached to Abraham, so there's really no argument there to be had. And so we look at, the. I told you that the 19 through 29 uh, really starts to get into the law as it relates to the promise, um, and, and this week in, in 19 through 22, uh, we're going to talk about kind of the purpose for the law and uh, You'll see that as, as we're drilling down here, as, as this argument starts to, to get down, like I said, to where they live, uh, you'll see that it starts to, to this morning we'll draw a, a line, a clear uh, divide between uh, the law and the promise. The law and the promise are going to be uh, really set apart here in, in this morning, and I, and I hope that I can do that justice and, and bring that to light. Um, through the teaching here. So let's read 19 through 22 uh, in chapter 3, and then I'll pray and we'll get started. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather here this morning. We ask that you'd help our hearts and minds to be tender uh, to the teaching of your word and, and uh, to the preaching in, in the next services and, and uh, this evening as well. Uh, we just ask for your hand of blessing to be upon us. Lord, help me uh, to teach it with clarity that, that, so that the folks can understand uh, what you've, what you've uh, showed me this week. And uh, we love you. We ask that you get all the honor and glory for everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 
Uh, it says here in, in 319 again, wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions. So the law was added because of transgressions. And, and we kind of see this a little bit in Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. It says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they were to are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. And so we talk about transgressions, and a good way to illustrate that is if, if you were to be walking in a, in a field of grass and, and you, you're just minding your own business and then you see a sign in the middle of the grass that says don't walk on the grass, uh, you realize that you've transgressed. You, you, you've crossed the line. You're not supposed to be there. Um, if, and we've all probably been here where if you're going up the, some stairs and you grab a handrail and you take your hand off and you got paint all over your hand, and, and maybe you see a sign afterwards that says, uh, wet paint, don't touch. Well, you've already transgressed. You've already, you've already got paint on your hand. And so we can see that uh, with, when it's related to us, though, with, with, the, with the way we relate to God and, and our need is we're in uh, uh, hundreds of acres in the middle of a field of grass. And we might see the sign, uh, which would be the law being presented to us, but there, there's no way that in and of ourselves we can get off that grass. We just know that we are not supposed to be there, that we've transgressed. We've already uh, got all the paint all over our hands, and there's nothing we can really do to wash that off. We've already transgressed, uh, and we need uh, someone to take away, we need to, someone to get us out of that grass to wash those uh, paint stains off of our hands. And that, that's where we're at. We're so the law came in so that God could define to mankind how depraved and how lost we are in trespasses and sins. And we understand that there was sin before the law, and, and God, in, in that time, he, he dealt man, with man through the conscience. Uh, we develop a, a basic understanding of right and wrong when we get to a certain age. And, and Pastor did a really good message on the conscience not too long ago. And uh, so I, I just want to talk about that for a couple minutes here, but... Uh, in Romans 2, 14 through 15, it says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So before the law was given, everyone lived this way. The, the moral law was, it, that's written in our hearts is given to us from, by God, that we're actually responsible for, that even if you've never read the Bible or heard about the Ten Commandments, that you're going to stand before God because there is a law written in your heart, and your conscience tells, interprets that and, and helps to give an understanding of right and wrong. And so everyone's responsible for that. But the, the problem is, though that law written in our hearts, that moral law that God embeds within us, though that's good and that's right and that's pure, our, our consciences can be corrupted. And our conscience is what we, what we interpret the, that law by. So uh, it can be corrupted by culture or experience primarily. And, uh, for example, so, someone living under, under conscience can develop deep convictions based on falsehood. You think about uh, Muslims. And I, I mentioned last week I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. And when we'd have workers come in, uh, you, you'd walk out to the aircraft and there, nobody's working. Uh, what's going on? They're supposed to be cleaning the hangar. Well, it's the, for the third, fourth, whatever time that day. They had to go outside and, and get out their prayer rugs, and they're out there praying. Well, that because if they don't, they feel like they've sinned. Now, we understand that, that that's false. They're, they're, they're praying to a false God, but their conscience has been corrupted by false teaching. 
And so just feeling conviction based on, on that, it, they, they've already gone past what that natural law is written in their hearts, and they've developed these, these systems and, and things to, to salve their conscience. Um, so even with, with Amish folks, an Amish man might put on a jacket with a zipper on it, and then he realizes it, and he feels like he's sinned. Well, we know that there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's nothing in the Bible that, that really calls that out as sin, but it's sin to him because of his teaching, because his conscience has been uh, manipulated and, and corrupted in a sense. Uh, not that that's uh, not that it's drawn him into sin, but he's he's added to something that's not there because his conscience has been changed because of teaching. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were in a perfect environment, and and they sinned anyway, and they got kicked out of the garden. Then we, they moved into this this uh, age where they're they're being dealt with according to their conscience. Um, and Adam and Eve, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a written word. So God was dealing with them through this conscience, this law written in their hearts uh, being interpreted by their conscience. And, and we learned from this period that God, uh, as God dealt with mankind through the conscience, that uh, man ignores the, his conscience. We, we all do. We all ignore our conscience and, and go ahead and sin anyway. We had one of the, everybody probably had, I went to a public high school. And we, if you went to any school, really, you probably had the cool teacher our cool teacher was Mr. Hubing. He was the sociology teacher. But one of the things, I took his class as a senior, um, and he was, he was uh, an older teacher. He was getting ready to retire, and he was, he was just a really good guy. But they, one of his things that really stuck with me through that class was uh, he started talking about, um, like, people that do bad things, people that just have, they don't feel bad about anything they do. And he said that if you tell your conscience just be quiet over and over and over and over again enough times, it'll stop. And, and, and you won't feel bad anymore. You won't have any guilt anymore. And, and so that's what, that's what man tends to do uh, apart from the law, apart from, apart from a relationship with God, is that they just go ahead and silence those portions of their conscience that affect their lifestyle or what they want to do, and then they don't feel bad anymore. And, and, and a lot of people, you, you might hear people say, well, I'm not convicted about that, so... What, you know, the Lord's not dealing with me about that. Well, it's because your conscience has been changed. Your conscience isn't interpreting things properly. That, that happens. We can do that. And, that that's, and we can get to the point where we have a seared conscience. First Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So, so the Galatians, which were mostly Gentiles, and as we saw in Romans chapter 2, uh, they, they would have understood this natural ingrained set of law. They're like, oh, that's why I feel bad when, when that happens. I, I understand that now. Uh, they, they didn't have the law. They, the law wasn't committed unto them. So uh, though they may have heard it, may, they may have known some Jewish people, they didn't, they didn't have that law to uh, build their conscience upon. So we learned uh, in Genesis uh, 6, 5, that it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So when man lives according to his conscience, apart from the law and apart from God, uh, ultimately it gets bad enough that we end up where we were with the flood. And I think we can see that in our day, and that's, that's the reason Satan has ingrained himself into so many of our institutions, especially the learning institutions, and gotten rid of the Bible and removed those things because he doesn't want anyone's conscience to be interpreted according to the word of God. He, he, if he can remove all of that, then he gets to control everything and, and gets to, people can just deny that, that natural law written in their hearts, which we've already seen throughout history. Up to the flood, 
That's what people did. That's, that's the natural course of man. And so we know from 2 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 7, proves this. It, it says this, know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lover of pleasures more than lover of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then down in uh, 2 Timothy, Timothy 3.13 says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's what, that's what living according to the dictate, dictates of your conscience is when you don't have God. If it's apart from God, if it's apart from his scriptures, you're gonna, it, men are going to wax worse and worse. So it's very important for Satan's plan in this world that he removes uh, the word of God from people's lives. So the law was added to prevent transgressions by outlining God's expectations. I, have you ever had a job where you show up and you have no guidance? There's no expectations whatsoever. They just say, you know, go to work. We, we, I worked at a, a Bell helicopter over in Amarillo, Texas as a contractor. And the contractors were treated a lot different than the direct employees. So I come in as a contractor and the direct employees, they don't want you to know anything because they feel like you're taking their job and all this stuff. But... It, it's, you know, you, you understand some basic things, some basic things that uh, we, all, we all know, show up on time, stay busy, these kind of things. But, but after a while, those things aren't really enough. Like you, you don't know, I, I was wandering around sometimes, we were working 12 and 13 hour shifts and nobody's telling me what to do. I'm going to ask this one and this one and, and they're just kind of turning away and ignoring, oh, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that. So I'm inspecting under panels and I'm signing things up to be uh, bought off by the inspectors and uh, I'm getting all this stuff rejected because nobody was showing me what they're going to be looking for. It, it, I was having to learn by the, uh, what the inspectors were finding and so I'd correct that and then they'd find something else next time that they weren't there to teach, they weren't there to guide. Uh, we, we can have a certain set of standards that'll get us to a certain point, but you need those guidelines. You need those things to emphasize, to highlight what, you, what you're doing wrong so that you know what to do right. So the law was added to give God's expectations of holiness. It was, it was uh, proven to us that we couldn't meet God's standard of holiness. So... Uh, based on our conscience alone. So just as the conscience can be corrupted and seared, God gave the law so that, that it can be trained and taught what God wants. Um, so our, our conscience can be trained by, by God's law, by, by scripture. Um, but, but even when we know the expectations in the form of the law, even when we have that, those, those things to in, interpret and to train our conscience with, uh, nobody can meet the standard of holiness. We, we'll never, we can never get there in, in our flesh. So, so what's the benefit? It, it, it highlights our sinfulness to point us uh, to the point of hopelessness uh, without, uh, in, unless God provides a way, in, unless he provides a way for us to bridge that gap where we can never do it on our own. That, that, that's what the law is doing. It's pointing us to that. The, the addition of the law, as we see uh, in, our, in our text in uh, verse 19, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So this is describing the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And, and uh, Moses, before he dies, he's given this, uh, he's kind of given this, uh, this speech to, to the Israelites in, in Deuteronomy 33.2. He says, 
uh, the Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them, and he shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. And uh, so God gave the law with these ten thousands of saints, or in this case, uh, if, you, if you compare Scripture with Scripture in the New Testament, referring to this passage, is calling them angels. It's, uh, there was ten thousand angels there when the law was given. So Moses uh, then was the mediator between God and Israel to facilitate the giving of the law. Um, again, in verse 19, it says, to whom the promise was made. Uh, the promise was made to that individual seed, Jesus Christ. And if you look at verse 16 in chapter 3, it's, uh, we, we looked at it last week, but again, uh, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So, so what specifically does this promise entail? What, what is this promise that's made specifically to Christ? Um, in the the promises that we talked about last week were the promises to Abraham with, with uh, posterity and, and inheritance and, and a spiritual seed for sure that would come down the line. But spiritually, uh, uh, th that promise is going to come through Christ. Uh, but the promise described in verse 16 and 19 is talking about a promise to Christ. And what exactly that is, is uh, again, we looked at Romans 4, chapter uh, Romans chapter 4, 13 through 16 before it says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs of faith, faith is made void. And then it goes on and, and it says, uh, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but also, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Christ is the heir of the world. He's the heir of the world. That, that's, and, and the world there is talking about the inhabitants and the, the world system and everything that we see, the, the political environment, uh, you know, everything like that. All the seeds share in this by faith because according to Romans 8, 17, we're joint heirs with Christ. So, so we share in that promise because we're joint heirs with Christ. We're, we're given joint heirship by faith in Christ who is the promised seed. Uh, so all of our blessings come through Jesus. But, but doesn't the world belong to God? You might say the, the world, of course, it belongs to God. God is over everything. And it, it, it's talking about ruling and control and dominion over the world system and its, in, as, and its inhabitants, as I said. So this dominion was actually intended and originally given to Adam, and he lost it. Uh, in Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them, and, said unto, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. That's key there, subdue it and have dominion over uh, the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And you might say, in one sense, we do have dominion. You know, we can pretty much destroy any animals that we want. We, we have dominion over that. But uh, in the, in, when God made all creatures and all things, it, there, was no, uh, there was no killing. There was no death. There, was, there wasn't, you, you could go into the, into the jungle and you wouldn't get hunted by a lion. You, you could go swim in the Gulf and you wouldn't get eaten up by sharks. So we, we have dominion in one sense because we're smarter and we can, we can overcome these things because of our intelligence, but we don't have dominion in the sense that they're bowing down at our feet, that, they're, that we are ruling over all things. We, we lost that because of sin. So, so when sin came into the world, Satan became the prince of this world. Jesus calls him the prince of this world several times. He's called the prince of the power of the air that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And, and this is why when Jesus was tempted in Luke 4, uh, 5, and 6, it says, And the devil 
taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. So man forfeited dominion because of sin. Um, because, we lo- because it was lost due to sin, no man can ever recover it. And just to refocus, we're talking about our verse here, that, that specific promise of inheriting the world that was promised to Jesus Christ, just so we're on track here. Um, because it was lost due to sin, no man can ever recover it. Uh, and, and essentially, uh, I've, I've heard it called that uh, mankind lost the title deed to earth. Is, is, is basically what happened. Uh, we see this in Revelation with the seven-sealed scroll. In uh, Revelation 5, 1 through 5, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So this scroll is essentially that title deed. Jesus Christ is the only one that can open it. He's the only one that can reclaim dominion over all the world's systems and all these things that were lost because of sin. And Christ alone was able to fulfill the law, defeated death, and will one day reclaim the earth and pour out his judgment upon Satan and his children. So he's ultimately going to rule in his eternal kingdom. Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So that's, that's, that's that promise that was made, that promise to Christ. And we, we are joint heirs in that promise. We're going to rule and reign with him if we're saved. So Galatians 3, 20, verse 20, the next verse. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. This is a, this is a tough one. So if, if anybody disagrees with this interpretation, feel free to, to study it out. And I, I challenge you to do that because uh, there's so many different ways to look at this this verse and and I, I read one commentator that said he he was aware of over 200 and something different ways people interpret this so I'm gonna do my best here but if you don't agree with it then then please study it out prove all things hold fast that which is good that's what I say so a, a mediator it says now a mediator is not a mediator of one but God is one so a mediator is a go-between it's somebody that's gonna uh, stand in between and, and facilitate a transaction of some kind or some kind of decision that's going to be made. Um, this person is going to have the interests of both parties in mind. Uh, so Moses was the mediator of the law. Um, he, he went between God and Israel. He, he went to the mountain. Uh, Israel was going to be given the law. God ch- had chosen Abraham to be that go-between uh, between him and Israel, and, and that's, that was Moses' role. So there's two parties with two interests. Uh, Israel was carnal, and we know that that almost from the moment they were delivered out, out of uh, Egypt, they were sinning, they were complaining, they had issues. Um, God requires holiness, and, and He wanted sanctified people, and so He He gave the law to them to for because of transgressions, so that they could see, hey, this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you need to live to be My people, to be set apart, to be different from the world. And 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 it, and it says, but God is one. Though God gave the promise over 400 years before He gave the law. 
which is important, and we talked about that last week, but uh, there, there are practical differences between the law and the promise. First, for the, promise, for the law, uh, Israel had to have a reluctant mediator called out who was flawed and fallible in Moses. He, he could only mediate, but he couldn't reconcile anything. He was just a go-between. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't live uh, the, the life of the Israelites for them. He couldn't, he couldn't meet that standard and, and go between them and God in that fashion. He was, he was just given the law, and he had to give the law to them, and he, was, he had to follow the law as well, and he had his own failures and issues, and he didn't really want to do it. Um, so second, the second thing with the law, uh, God had, had a part and Israel had a part. So Israel was commanded to keep the law, and God promised to bless them if they kept it and curse them if they didn't. So there's conditions. There's conditions there. So the, the promise was different. The, the promise, uh, first, the, the promise wasn't just given to Israel, but to all nations. Um, the, the second thing is that God never put any conditions on Abraham. It was by faith alone. Uh, God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And he didn't say, if you do this, I'm going to bless you, or if you do this, I'm going to bless you. It was just, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. In, in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, he says, and we looked at this last week as well, and he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He just believed. It, he just believed what God said. Again, our verse says, Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. And so God made the promise with no conditions, and he sent his only begotten son, who was 100% man and 100% God, to fulfill all the conditions of the promise. God is one. So whereas Moses couldn't do, he, all he could do was pass on the message, uh, God took care of both parts. He, he, took, he, took, he, he gave the promise, and he fulfilled the requirements for the promise, because God is one. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the author and finisher of our faith. That's the, he's the beginning and the end of our faith. He, he facilitated and fulfilled and, and did everything that was required for us to have faith and, and for that faith to be counted for righteousness. Jesus Christ already took care of it all. So when we place our faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ, we become one with him. Uh, so just as the promise uh, was from God directly to Abraham, all Abraham had to do was believe, and, and Abraham believed in the Lord, and, and we of like faith are blessed with faith, faithful Abraham. We talked about that last week, how it says we're blessed with faith, faithful Abraham. We're not blessed because of him, or we're not blessed like him. Uh, we're, we stand shoulder to shoulder with Abraham and the other saints that have all throughout history, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and apart from works, apart from any, anything that they did, any keeping of the law or anything like that. So uh, in verse 21, it says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So the question then that's being posed here is if God gave the promise and provided both sides, if he's the mediator, if he meets the conditions, if he pays the price, so there's no conditions for us apart from faith, which is not a work of our own, does this make the law against the promises of God? And he says, God forbid. Because of our depraved state, because we're abhorrent sinners, the law condemns us. It highlights the need for and the preciousness of the promise. It doesn't go against it. It's, it, the law is pointing us to Christ. It's not, it's not 
removing us from, from that. It's, it's highlighting our need for Jesus Christ. For, it's highlighting our need for a, a go-between, someone to save us from our sins. Uh, the law shows us our sin, Romans 7, 13, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So, so the second part of verse 21, again, if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So if the law could have been a means of giving life, then the promise wouldn't have even been necessary. He could have just superseded the promise. And, and, and I say that hypothetically because we learned last week that, that because God made a covenant 430 years prior, the law couldn't change that covenant, right? But, but I'm just saying that if it could have brought life, if, if, if it would have been a better promise if, it, if the law could have, could have brought life if, because we, we, we were to do something, it, would have, it, could, have super, it could have added to or, or been a, a paired with what the promise was, but that's not the case. There's no, there's no uh, work that can be done that could uh, fulfill the, the, the keeping of the law. So if, if the law was a means of giving life, then the promise wouldn't have been necessary. If it, if it was something we could do, then God wouldn't have needed to send his only begotten son to die in our place on the cross of Calvary. He wouldn't have had to do that. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had to, uh, to, to uh, sacrifice, to make that, that sacrifice for the sins of the world. He wouldn't have had to, uh, Jesus Christ wouldn't have had to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, why would God ever need to mix the two? Why would, why would Jesus Christ dying on the cross at Calvary not ever be enough? You see, when, 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 when folks start to add things to it, when they start to say, well, you need to do this, to, you need to be baptized for completion of, of the promise. You need, yeah, it's faith, but faith in the baptism or faith in these sacraments or faith in different things that you have to do, good works or whatever. You're saying that uh, the, the promise wasn't enough, that, that what Jesus Christ did wasn't enough, that we need to pair something with that. Well, what could you ever pair with that? What, what would ever be enough? What would ever be a, a good match for that? And how, what percentage would, would our works go toward that? You know, is it 10%? Do I do 10% and God does 90%? Was the cross, was Jesus taking all of our sin upon himself and dying on a cross, being tortured and, and, and shedding his blood for us? Was that, was, that, was that good enough for 90%? You see, you make yourself a, a judge of how good it was when you decide you're going to add something to it. Instead of it just being what it is, it's sufficient. It, it was the perfect sacrifice. There's no work that's comparable to God in the flesh dying on a cross. And, and to think otherwise is foolishness. And finally, we'll, we'll end a little early here. Galatians 3.22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So the scripture, the law, the prophets, they conclude, which is to shut up, or the, the case, it's, it's closing the case, it's, it's, it's closing the book on, on sin. It's closing the, it's, it's decided. It's already determined. And I, I've, I've told you this before that one of the hardest things to do a lot of times when you're dealing with folks is, is that they're not understanding what the penalty for their sin actually is. So nobody wants to say I'm perfect. You know, that, that's one of our sayings is nobody's perfect, right? But it, when you start drilling down and you start dealing with somebody in light of the Bible and you, and, you, and you say, do you agree with what the Bible says about your sin? And they say, what's that? Well, that your sin is going to send you to hell, that you need Jesus, that you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, that you might uh, be saved, that you, that you won't spend eternity in hell. Your sin has earned you hell. And, and they say, well, 
I'm not going to hell. I mean, that's a lot of people. A lot of people know that, they're, that they've sinned. They know that they've made mistakes, but they, they just want to call it a mistake. They may have done really bad things, but they, they never, almost never think that they deserve to go to hell. And that, that's where a lot of people are, but, but the Bible says that all have our, it's already done. It's already been concluded. The, the, the case is settled. You see, someday at, at the great white throne judgment, people are going to come and advocate for themselves. They're going to come there and say, Lord, Lord, uh, I've served you. I've, cast, I've done many mighty works in your name. And the Lord's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because it's already been concluded. Uh, apart from Jesus Christ, there, there is no hope. And so that's what God wants us to get from the law. And he says it's settled. You cannot argue the point. that It's closed. It's concluded. You need Christ. There's nowhere else for you to go. And for those of us that are saved, that's a very comforting thought because we know where we came from. We know, we know what we deserve. And that's, that's all I have this morning. Um, next week, we'll, we'll uh, drill down a little bit more even and, and talk about... Uh, the, the law and its relationship to us and how, how to see the law now. So thank you for your good attention. I'll, I'll dismiss in prayer here. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for your son dying in our place on the cross at Calvary. And we love you. And we just ask that you bless the services to come, Lord. And we ask that if there's anyone uh, here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would get saved today. We thank you and praise you again for everything you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.